What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're on with the Real Sports Guys. This is Devon Wilson with the RSG Exclusive. We have the pleasure of having uh, an incredible guest with us today. He is a nine-time Pro Bowl selection. He's on the NFL 1970s All-Decade team. But most importantly, he's the Associate Justice uh, on the Minnesota Supreme Court. We had the pleasure today to have Justice Alan Page. Good afternoon, Justice Page. Good afternoon. How are you? Fine, fine. Welcome to The Real Sports Guys. Thanks for having me. We'd like to start back in somewhat the beginning a little bit here early on in, in that um, it's well documented that as a young person you spent time helping to build the Hall of Fame and, and, and then eventually walk through those doors. Uh, when well, you were I, giving... I spent about one afternoon working on the construction site early oh. on in it. But I guess that qualifies. That qualifies. You laid a brick down. <laughs> exactly. So, so, somewhere. But how did that feel to then walk through the doors? Uh, what was that moment like for you? Well, um, it was quite emotional, quite uh, a thrill. But at the same time, um, for me, being recognized for something that I had done years before um, while an honor was, um, I don't know, it, 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 I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the, the, the honor of being inducted was tremendous. But, you know, once you get beyond that, it's just one more recognition for uh, something that you had done a long time ago. You know, one of the things that we often on our show, we, we have this multiple generations of listeners that listen, and um, when we, we talk about certain eras of sports, it's uh, we always try to take the time, to, particularly with our younger listeners, to provide them with a sense of a different time in a sport. And you had the privilege of playing uh, for what is considered one of the most dominant defenses of all time, the, the Purple People Eaters. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like? What made that defense so great for some of our younger listeners who may not have be aware of how dominant that defense was? We, I was fortunate enough to play on a team with uh, some tremendously talented people, tremendously dedicated people, and uh, really good people. And our skills just happened to come together in a way that allowed us to perform at a very high level. I, mean, I was with uh, Jim Marshall and Carl Eller and Gary Larson, Paul Dixon, Doug Sutherland. Um, that was just the defensive line. We had a great set of linebackers and defensive backs. And when it all worked together, uh, and we, the, the one thing we did very well was play as a team. Mm -hmm. 
uh, oftentimes you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't play as a team, all that talent really doesn't do you much good. And the, the, the other side of that coin is that even if you don't have as much talent as uh, somebody else may have, when you play as a team, good things will happen. You know, I went to Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. We're on with the Honorable uh, Justice Justice Allen Page. And uh, Justice Page, can you talk a little bit about uh, – we talk about a lot of great coaches, but folks do not realize how great uh, Coach uh, Bud Grant was. Can you talk I, about what it was like to play for Bud Grant? I had the good fortune to play for a number of really good coaches throughout my career, football career from high school uh, at college and professionally. And Bud Grant was obviously one of those. He was um, very much a stickler for detail uh, and uh, had a way of getting us, making us, allowing us to work together in ways that allow us to be successful. I uh, certainly enjoyed watching Bud Grant coach, and uh, I think uh, you definitely, that's a feeling that I was able to, to get from just watching the, the way the teams always played hard. You know, one of the challenges you had is that you had a great team. You won four NFC championships, but those Super Bowls were challenging, and you talked about a lot of what you learned from at times when you fall short. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Well, the reality is that um, not everybody wins all the time. That's right. Uh, and as much as we wanted to and as much as we worked towards that goal, uh, we weren't successful. But the reality also is that um, as painful as it is, we learn far more from our losses than we do from our wins. Now, mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I we went to the Super Bowl four times and lost, um, but uh, you know we didn't win every game we played beyond the Super Bowl. And my as a as a player, my goal was to go out and perform as well as I could and hopefully win every game. And so um, I wasn't I was by far not the best of losers, whether it was a, a preseason game or a regular season game or a playoff game. But, uh, again, uh, the reality is that uh, I, I think as a result of all those games that I played in and didn't have the success that I would have liked, uh, probably learned and grew in ways that have benefited me over a lifetime in, and, and also in ways that uh, I wouldn't have learned and grown had I um, had we won all those games. What I, what I love about following your story I mean, one of the things that we we talk a lot about on our show is that there there's there can be this intersection between sports education we can understand multiple issues when we look at sports and 
we can't have an expectation of even our athletes that they can engage in things outside of athletics as much as we, we love sports. And you were in law school pursuing another passion. What was it about in terms of your circumstances that allow for you to not only play at the highest level on the football field, but to have this higher calling that you now are serving uh, as uh, Associate Justice. Talk, can you talk a little bit about that path? Because that's something for us that's very important. Well, long before I became a football player, I was, you know, I had a life. <laughs> I, had, I, I was a person, and I had parents who instilled in me the uh, importance of education, the importance of excelling in all the things that I tried to do, the importance of being a good person and trying to uh, be fair and honest and play by the rules. And uh, I I had all that before I started playing football as a ninth grader. I also had dreams of what I hoped my future would be before I started playing football. And so it was natural for me at least, to, uh, as I grew up and played football, to keep those dreams in mind and pursue them. One of those childhood dreams was to become a lawyer. And I have to admit that, you know, when I was 9, 10 years old and people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up and I would say I wanted to be a lawyer, I really didn't know what the law was about or have any clue about what lawyers did. But as I grew up and developed as a a person, uh, I gained the sense that the lawyer, uh, the law was about helping people and solving problems, which was something I was always interested in. And uh, it was about fairness and making sure that uh, people uh, are treated fairly. And that was also something that I've been interested in. So it was a natural uh, transition for me to uh, pursue my law degree, even while I was playing football. We are all capable of doing more than Mm -hmm. one thing at a time, whether it's sports or uh, being a judge or whatever it may be. We all have the capacity to um, do more than and focus on and do more than one thing at a time and do do those things well. Before I hand it to my, my part, Phil, uh, we we have we had Alan Sack on, who's a good friend of yours, yeah. and, and, a, and um, a teammate, and a teammate uh, there at Notre Dame, and he, he talks a lot about uh, the impact of being part of that team, and so he, he's been a regular on our show and. One of the things I think you just touched on is this this idea that student athlete was never part of the terminology uh, when you when you played in college. It was there was no confusion about which came first. And well, you, there was there was no confusion at Notre Dame. I think there was some confusion at other at other <laughs> schools. Can you, can you talk about because this is a this is an issue that we we often talk about with that and 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 kind of what we can you talk about what what was it about Notre Dame that cultivated that versus maybe some other institutions that you knew that that wasn't necessarily how they operated? When I was recruited uh, to come to Notre Dame, uh, 
the 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 focus was ensuring that at the end of my time there that I would have a, a degree and that I would be able to move on in life uh, to, to pursue my chosen uh, career. And so there was never any question about um, being only an athlete. Uh, it was clear from the beginning that um, academic performance was uh, a very high priority for everyone there. And um, I think we we tend to lose sight of, particularly when, when working with young children, and I think young children lose sight of the fact that uh, it is not enough to perform well on the athletic field. You have to perform well in the classroom also. And that it's both things are possible. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. We have the privilege of talking to the Honorable Alan Page, former NFL superstar, NFL Hall of Famer, and current Associate Justice of the Minnesota Supreme Court. Justice Page, I love where you're going with this and the things you've been talking about of how fruitful your collegiate career was, often on this show we talk about ways to improve the experience for current student-athletes. If you were asked to sit on a Blue Ribbon Committee to make recommendations to improve the college experience for student-athletes, what would you recommend? Well, first of all, um, you know, I think the experience for revenue Athletes in revenue-generating sports is different from athletes in non-revenue sports. Um, and to to that degree, I think we have to be realistic and uh, make sure that with those athletes in revenue-producing sports that they understand that they have to perform in the classroom. One of the things that I find fascinating is we um, we really do young people a disservice when we focus so much on their athletic abilities. Uh, we do them a disservice service beyond the athletic field, but also on the athletic field as well. The fact is that the more one learns to think critically, which is what you do in the academic arena, the more one learns to do that, the better athlete they're going to be. And so um, young people have to understand that if they're going to perform well on the athletic field, they need to perform well in the classroom because that will help them. And to the extent that we have... Um, some of the problems that we see in revenue generating uh, athletics, it just may be time that we need to consider divorcing the academic, at the college level at least, divorcing the academic enterprise from the athletic enterprise. Because at some level, uh, 
the things that are happening on the athletic side are corrupting the integrity of the academic enterprise. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. We're here with the Honorable Alan Page. Before I send it back to Devon, Justice Page, you know, one of the reasons that we were so interested in having this conversation with you is because we respect how much you've given back to the community. Myself, I'm a product of the McNair Scholars Program as well as other programs such as En-ROADS. When we look at the Page Education Foundation that you and your wife set up almost 20 years ago, one of the things that you all do in addition to providing opportunities for, for young people to get to college and help pay for that is that you ask for them to give back through community service. Our, our goal with the, with the foundation is to encourage, motivate, and assist young men and women of color pursue their educations beyond high school. And as you know, we do that two ways. One, by providing financial assistance. But two, and more importantly, uh, our grant recipients, we call them paid scholars. We require them to go back into the community where they come from, back into the community where they're going to school, to work with young children kindergarten through eighth grade, specifically in the area of education, to send those younger children the strong, clear message that education is a tool that they can use to overcome whatever uh, problems they may face, whether they be economic or otherwise. It's a tool that will allow those young children to achieve their hopes and dreams. And it's a tool that will put those young children in control of their destiny in ways that um, those who lack education cannot hope to have. The more education you have, the more choices you have, and the more opportunities you get to make the decision about where what, where, and what the future holds for you. And uh, we think that's critically important. And so our goal is to reach as many young people as we can. And we talk about athletes as heroes and role models. Well, as an athlete, I can only reach so many people at a time. Uh, this year we've got 525 paid scholars each one who can reach as many as I can. So they, wow. the, the, the multiplier effect is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's all about, changing the future for our scholars, but also changing the future for those young people that our scholars work with. You're on with the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. We're on with the Honorable Justice Alan Page. Justice Page, we want to just thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate what you've been able to share with us today, and uh, we hope that we can have you on the show uh, again in the near future as we begin to continue to explore these issues that we think are very important in sports, and we want to wish you well in everything that you that you do. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Take care. So that was Justice Alan Page, an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, it was an incredible conversation, Phil. What were your what were your thoughts about that interview? I was blown away. You know, this is one of the premier thinkers in this country. When when you look at former athletes who 
who have progressed to bigger and greater things after an already great first career as a professional athlete, you know, the Honorable Alan Page is has got to be top on that list. He's got to be in the top two or three. You talk about Senator Bill Bradley. You talk about some of the things Jim Brown did. But I'm not sure you could make an argument that their careers have been stronger than what the Honorable Alan Page has been since he's been, you know, out of professional football. Just an amazing story of how he got his law degree while he was an all-pro football player. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, think about think about Julius Peppers, <laughs> yeah. you know, going to law school in the off season. So it mm-hmm. it was just awesome to hear. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I was I was amazed, and, and just when he you know he talked about you know when we got into you know what was it that allowed for him to do that, and he you know he talked about that he was someone else before he became a football player. That you know he talked about the values that were developed by his family in terms of and and that he always wanted to be a lawyer, and so this kind of aspiration that we often talk about that's important for our young people to have, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be an either or, but a both and as an athlete that, that you can have both of it and, and really talk about his whole kind of process and journey um, to law school and what drove him was incredible. And what critically threw me is when he talked about his, you know, you, you gave him the blue ribbon question, right? And you were like, uh, you know, what would you recommend? And I was astonished when he said, you know, we may be at a point where we need to separate, where, you know, we we may need to focus on the education and allow people to focus on the business. And that, that kind of pushed me back a little bit. I don't know how you yeah. react to that. But uh, that might be a, a line on the bottom of uh, one of these uh, national networks. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a pretty strong position uh, that he had, uh, given his uh, given his stature. Absolutely, and you know the term he he mentioned struck me: divorcing. We may divorcing. need to consider the, divorcing the academic enterprise from the athletic in, enterprise because of corruption of the integrity of the academic enterprise. That's right. And I mean, this really lines up to his friend and former teammate Alan Sack, who's who, who's been a great friend to our show in terms of mm-hmm. him being a regular coming on uh, the author of mm-hmm. Counterfeit Amateurs. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sack kind of brings up a similar point of the way that it's going, it's so far from where the original mission was for intercollegiate sports, for amateur athletics, is that these are counterfeit amateurs. That's and right. so when Justice Page brought this up, it just rang that same bell. And it's one of these things. We've all heard it. The definition of insanity, it's doing the same things but expecting different results. I'm mm-hmm. your first grade elementary sales teacher says that. But in this situation, I think it rings true. What are we going to do to fix this broken system for these revenue-producing sports, specifically basketball and football? Because the route we're going, it's just kind of putting a Band-Aid on a divan. It's not a, it's not a long-term fix. Mm-hmm. And I think what was great about his reaction, if you notice when when I asked him, you know, kind of posed the question about, because, you know, sometimes Alan talks about they were students. And when we pushed uh, Justice Page on it, he said, well, I'd Notre Dame. So he put it, he even put it in, um, you know, somewhat of a historical context that these issues, you know, are, are have been going on for a long time. 
because, you know, we've been building this whole conversation around, you know, where are the Justice Page folks, where are the, where are the Paul Robesons, where are the Luau Senders, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, where are some of these folks? But he talked about when he when he asked that question, he was saying that you know not at Notre Dame was that way, but not at all institutions. And so it was interesting that he not only was critical in terms of this current context in which we live, but he also acknowledged that there was some of this stuff happening even in his day. I don't know if you caught that. I did. This is Phil and Devon wrapping up the conversation we had with the Honorable Alan Page former NFL Player of the Year, Hall of Famer in the NFL, and now an Associate Justice for the Minnesota Supreme Court. You know, one of the things that kind of also drives this point is when Justice Page mentioned that we do young people a huge disservice when we focus only on their athletic abilities. And he talked about how sports, sports can help develop critical thinking skills. And I've, I've often tried to communicate this in papers and discussions on how the day of football players being dumb is is gone. It's long gone. I mean, it was gone back in the 40s and the 50s. Football players have to be very intelligent with the different reads, uh, with the thick playbooks, with the side adjustments, all this different stuff. And I'm not just talking about quarterbacks. I'm talking about essentially every position on the football field. And oftentimes we lose when we say that, okay, these student-athletes, we – we give them a lower standard, a lower expectation of what they can handle off the football field. Justice Page said, listen, we all can do something good, and we, can, we all have the capacity to do multiple things well. Mm-hmm. And when we let student-athletes, especially these revenue-producing sports, when we let them off the hook to major in inferior majors and use the, the excuse that, you know what, they can't handle it because of all the expectations, wait a minute. This is a broken system. Let's hold these young men accountable, and also let's make a system that makes it conducive for them to be successful. Yeah, I think you're a really good point, and, and it's you know I've been talking about this concept around growth and fixed mindset, and that's what it is. You know, uh, big time athletics has a fixed mindset; they don't have a growth mindset, uh, and when it comes to these athletes and their potential, that it's a both and scenario. In in, in some ways. It, it benefits you as an athlete because of your engagement. It's also uh, a vehicle, what, what coaches haven't figured out, for retention. If, if a player can get connected in a way that's in addition to the game, you know, there's another reason for them to be at the institution, which is very important. And so there's a whole bunch of benefits to it that I think because of this fixed mindset that exists, that doesn't allow it. And I'm glad that, Justice Page is, you know, really pushing on and making that point because that's an important point to make. And I think the part you hit on it is that, you know, I talk about this all the time and, and athletes recognize this, that there's a lot of information they got to learn very quickly and all that stuff is transferable. It all requires time management. It requires a whole bunch of other things. And what happens is they don't apply and think those same things apply to being a good chemist, right? And so... It's it's one of those things that we just have to continue to push back and, you know, having this voice like this echo that, you know, reinforces a lot of things that we've been saying. And so one of the things I think I'm trying to to do, uh, as I you know, as I think about what Justice Page is, is even thinking about how that might impact my work. And so uh, I think that's an incredible 
thing to kind of build on, you know, as we start to have these future discussions around this, think you hit. You know, one of the great things about what uh, Justice Page talked about is the, you know, what I love is kind of talking about, you know, his era, because I think a lot of people have forgotten about how dominant the Minnesota Vikings were. You know, there was a period that they were just one of the most dominant and fear teams in the NFL. And right. the fact that he played on one of those teams, I mean, we hear about the Steel Curtain, we hear about um, a lot of these great defenses of the time, the Doomsday defense of mm-hmm. Dallas. You hear about all this stuff, but nothing was bigger than the Purple People Eaters. And to talk about how they played together as a unit was good for him. And then Bud Grant, Bud Grant's another one of those coaches that people just, you know, when you start naming great coaches in the NFL, they don't even come up. His name doesn't even come up anymore. And right. he was a tremendous coach. Um, and so it was good to hear him kind of reflect on, on that. I wish we would have been able to ask him, that was one of the questions we wanted to, you know, which player played most like him today. Um, I love if we can get him back on to talk about that. But it's always good for us to get to take some of our, especially some of our younger listeners, you know, into that time warp, into that period. Yeah, the Vikings, and it may be tough for some of our younger listeners to think about this, but think about those Broncos who lost three straight Super Bowls or even the Buffalo Bills in the 90s that lost four straight Super Bowls. you got to be pretty darn good to win the AFC every year for four straight right. years. Right. And think about the Andre Reeds, the Jim Kellys, the Thurman, and Thurman, Thurman Thomas. Thurman Thomas, he was my man on Tecmo Bowl. You know, you think about these dominant all-pro Hall of Fame players this is what Justice Page was part of. You know, you look you know, you think about Carl Eller. I actually just saw the special they have on the NFL network, the missing ring series where they talk about some of the teams that were really good but just missed that NF that Super Bowl ring and they highlighted Justice Page's Minnesota Vikings and Carl Eller and Bud Grant. They they were part of that telecast, so you know, it was just amazing to actually see that about a year ago and then have the opportunity to talk to Justice Page today and ha- hear him reflect on that team and how they prepared and how they played together. Well, that was an incredible uh, interview, and, you know, Phil was good to to do it with you. Yeah, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Uh, this was one of our RSG Classic interviews with uh, the Honorable Alan Page. Justice Page and Hall of Famer on the all-1970s all-time NFL team. And it was uh, such a pleasure to do. Um, We look forward to to getting him back on the show soon. I agree, Devon. Now, to wrap up our show tonight, what we're going to do is replay a recent interview that we did with Beloit College's head baseball coach, Dave DeGeorge. Coach DeGeorge talked about his team season as well as help us prep for the College Baseball World Series. We hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to The Real Sports Guys at realsportsguys.com. It's part of our continuing coverage of the College Baseball World Series and our great coaches and great places segments that we've had, which has included Division Three National Championship coach Lance Leipold at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, as well as a recent guest, Craig Bowl, the head coach of the FCS Division I NCAA National Champions, North Dakota State, who was recently on. We're happy to have head coach David George of Beloit College's baseball program. Coach George just finished his 22nd season at Beloit College. He is an all-time win leader in Beloit College baseball history. 
His 326 wins ranked second in all sports at the college, trailing only legendary basketball coach Bill Napton. In 2009, Coach George was selected as the Coach of the Year by the Wisconsin Baseball Coaching Association, and that year he led his team to the NCAA tournament. Beloit College has a very special place in my heart, as well as Coach George, as he actually recruited me 15 years ago to play at Beloit College, so I've known him well. They can speak very closely to the Beloit College experience, as well as he as a coach and also as a leader. So we're very happy to welcome Coach George. How you doing today, Coach? I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, it's great uh, to, to be on your show and, and have an opportunity to connect with you. Sounds good, Coach. Let's jump on in. So, Coach, looking at your baseball season, it looks like you all had a pretty rough start there in Florida, but came back to rebound, had a good season in conference and the season actually ended in your conference championship game it, it was a it really was an interesting season phil i think uh it it was one of the most challenging uh seasons for me and in, in my entire coaching career uh we had a talented team we had an experienced team and uh we, we did get off to a rough start i was looking for tall buildings uh to, to possibly jump <laughs> off down there when, we, when we got started uh we found every possible way to to lose a ball game and that was so uh, atypical for us. We, we've been a team over the years, uh, at least over the last four or five, that you know hasn't made mistakes, um, has done a great job throwing strikes. We've been a great defensive team. Uh, we had three years running where we set our conference's uh, all-time record uh, for fielding percentage in, in a season. Um, you know, we always lead our conference in the fewest number of walks, and, and it seemed like in, in Florida we, we were making mistakes, and this was a team uh, for most of the year that was not a great offensive team, and uh, I'm not a believer that, that you have to uh, be a great team Team when it comes to batting average, but you have to be a great team in terms of offensive execution, uh, moving runners into scoring position and getting them in. And in Florida, our team really struggled. And when we got back, we just went to work. We said, hey, we have a system here. Uh, we know that it works, and we've got to get back to square one and, and start um, improving. And we played a tough schedule. Uh, we played a tough schedule in Florida. We played a very tough schedule back here. Uh, and I think that, that although it, it didn't um, result for us in as many wins as, as we've had in, in the past few years, it certainly prepared our team, and uh, we qualified for our conference tournament uh, for the third time in four years and, and uh, finished second. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we lost in the championship to a, to a very fine team, but that marks you know three of the last four years we've either finished uh, first or second, and uh, that's the kind of, obviously, tradition and expectation that, that you want to build uh, in, in the program, and, and uh, it, it was a neat year in many respects. Uh, it was an interesting year for us because we had several kids in our program that um, had paid their dues and had moved up. We had a young man named Alex Jennings uh, from Verona, Wisconsin, who was a senior, who became a starter for the first time as a senior, actually collected his first college hit as a senior, um, wow. went on to uh, be second on our team in RBIs, and become the second player in the history of our program to be awarded a Rawlings Gold Glove. Um, for his outstanding outfield play. Um, we had a, a catcher, a young man named uh, Emery Nelms, who was a senior. Emery's from Carbondale, Illinois. And Emery became a starter for the first time uh, in uh, as, as a senior and was phenomenal. Uh, led a great pitching staff and did an amazing job for us behind the plate. I, I'm a believer that teams are only as good as their catcher, and if you make it to the championship, it means you got a great catcher. And, and we were real happy with, with uh, Emery and what he did. Uh, another young man, 
man who who had a great finish to his career, uh, Evan Machete from from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Evan didn't see the field at all for uh, uh, his first two years. Became a starter as a junior. Uh, was a great defender for us, but didn't produce a whole lot offensively. This year, he led our team in batting average and uh, continued wow. to to be a great offensive player. Uh, great work ethic. Uh, probably the hardest working kid I have ever coached, and uh, that was fun. We had a, a senior named Al Loth from East Troy, Wisconsin, who has been an outfielder for us. Uh, he came to me at the end of his sophomore year and said, hey, you know, Coach, I think I could help us as a pitcher. And I kind of looked at him like, you know, Al, come on. You know, we got these guys who work at it every day. You haven't done anything for two years. But uh, he's a big kid, uh, very explosive, has a, has a great arm. And uh, I said, what the heck, you know, let's try it. So uh, he, he worked just a little bit in the last week or two as a sophomore, um, worked last year as a junior, and then this year became our key relief pitcher and uh, made first team all-conference. Uh, in conference play, um, we played 16 league games, and he had, in those 16 games, he had two wins and five saves. Um, so, you know, wow. he had a huge, huge impact. And then, uh, you know, we really had two standout players. Our, our shortstop, Jordan Yonicky, um is uh from uh, Kankakee, Illinois and uh, was a senior had a great great year and a great career here. He was a two-time all-region player. He was the other player in the history of our program to win a Rawlings Gold Glove. He did that as a, a sophomore as our third baseman. And then we have a great senior had a great senior pitcher, Alex Norman. Uh Alex is from Elburn, Illinois and I think he's the best pitcher that I have ever coached. Um wow. he probably threw five uh complete nine-inning games this year. Uh, his ability to concentrate and compete uh, is absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, he led our team in every respect. And when he was on the mound, we could play anybody in the country and have a chance to win. And he drew all the toughest assignments. Uh, I think he ended up with a 7-3 and three record. And the three he lost were uh, unbelievably heartbreaking. One time we got shut out one to nothing. <laughs> and he oh, threw a goodness. complete game. So, you know, uh, Norm really could have been been 10 and 0 but we we're really proud of our guys they're great kids good students they get it done in the classroom they work their tail off in the off season to prepare and they really compete so uh it's sad to see our seniors moving on uh but we certainly think that they have created a tradition and a legacy here at beloit that uh will will really you know drive our program and and have pointed us in the right direction for the future you're listening to the Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. We're here with Coach Dave George, head baseball coach of 22 years at Beloit College. Now, Coach, over the past five seasons or so, your program has experienced a great deal of success. You all have made the conference tournament three out of four last years. You won the conference championship, won a division championship in that span, and also had an appearance in the NCAA National Tournament. What do you attribute most to this recent success? Well, Phil, it's kind of interesting. I think it's a little bit of a of a perfect storm. And uh, the one thing that I would tell you is I don't think I have everything figured out. I've been coaching long enough to know that the minute you think you know what you're doing, you get smacked down pretty hard. And so, you know, every year we continue to evaluate and, and, and try to help our program grow and develop and improve. But as I look back, and I, and, and I try to do that myself, you know, when, when you're – when you're in a situation, you say, wow, we've had a lot of success. 
um, how'd that happen? You know, how can we keep it going? How can we continue to improve on it? And and these are the things that I think have made a big impact. Uh, as you know, sure. Phil, I coach football here. I, w- I was uh, had a great time, uh, obviously helping recruiting you to Beloit and 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 being your coach in in, in football. Uh, and and that's why you and I have a, have a great relationship to this day. And I loved my opportunity coaching football. As you know, I, I was an assistant for my father. My dad was the head football coach at Beloit for 29 years, and I coached on his staff for 15. When my dad retired, I continued uh, for uh, four more years. I coached 19 years of football here. But when my dad retired, uh, which was he, his last season was 2005, um, my um, involvement and the number of hours that I spent in football drastically reduced. And now, um, for the past couple of years, I've just been baseball. And when you're able to do something 100%, put all of your effort into it, you're going to do it better. Um, so our recruiting has been better, our preparation has been better, our uh, relationships between the players and coaches, I think, have, have improved tremendously. Um, and, and so it's just been that I put my whole life into this as opposed to dividing it. That's been a big factor. Uh, another huge factor, and for any um, you know uh, young pitchers uh, that are out there listening or parents of a young pitcher, um, you need to do some research. You need to find a guy named Ron Wilforth down in Florida. Um, he he uh, runs an operation uh, called the Texas Baseball Ranch. Uh, sometimes they're referred to, I think their previous name sure. was Pitching Central. Um, yep. And he created a program years years ago called the Athletic Pitcher Program. And they have um, continued to update this program and, and, and enhance it and so forth um, and provide more and better options for people to go along with the program. Uh, but we got onto this program several years ago, and it's allowed us to develop our pitchers um, at a rate that I really believe uh, exceeds what our opponents are able to do. I believe that this is the best program in the world today in terms of training pitchers, and I'm basing that on my experience. Uh, what has happened uh, to our pitchers has been phenomenal. Uh, as, a, as a small Division three school, we're not getting you know guys who throw 90 miles an hour. We've got to go out and find kids who are not going to be snapped up by a scholarship school, and but kids that have talent, know how to pitch, and are really going to work. If we can get a kid in our program that's going to work, this pitching program can take them to an entirely new level. Not only does it help tremendously with velocity and control, but it prepares kids, and they become physically prepared. We are not having pitching injuries in our program uh, because of the work that the kids do in the preparation. So that's been huge. Uh, we also we lucked out a few years ago, and we got a copy of the Milwaukee Brewers off-season strength and conditioning program. And that's what our guys do in the off season. And so our players here at Beloit, we get to train like professionals um, on those two programs. And uh, when you look at our kids, and if, if you were to come in now and, and really evaluate one of our practices and go back six, seven, eight years and evaluate it then and be able to compare the two, the difference in explosiveness of our players is ridiculous. And it, you know, certainly we're getting good athletes. They're working extremely hard, but the opportunity to train on these two pro- programs uh, has, has been tremendous for us. Uh, we're also into video analysis. Uh, we use uh, uh, a video analysis system to, to really train our hitters, uh, and uh, it, it has been phenomenal. We get 60 frames a second. So there's no uh, opinion as to you know what's happening. You, you can see it, and and <laughs> we're able to. Yeah, we're able to really help our our players um, uh, develop and and, uh, get better. The program we use is is called uh, Right View Pro, 
and it's affordable and absolutely tremendous. So we think we're, we're doing a better job teaching our kids. Uh, and, I, and I would definitely tell you that I've improved, Phil. You know, um, I've gotten better at being a coach. I've gotten better at, at the recruiting. I've gotten better at working with our players. I've gotten better, you know, in ball games and, and developing and practicing and all that stuff. And, and I don't think that, that the importance of that can be uh, understated. Uh, all of us, no matter what we do in, in our careers and our life, it's important to get better at it. And I'm uh, one of my real goals for myself is to improve every single year. And I can tell you that my readiness to lead a championship team today far exceeds where it was five years ago. And I hope five years from now, it far exceeds where I am now. Um, certainly, we've had good players. You do not win without good talent. If anybody out there thinks that people are winning because of the coach, you know, I think they're crazy. Uh, you have to have a good coach, but if you don't have good players, you're not going to beat anybody who's any good. And, uh, you know, ultimately I would tell you that our players have, have uh, worked hard and they've really bought into our system. We have, have basically designed a system here through every aspect of our program, and our players believe in it. And when you've got the, the guys that are everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope – everybody's got a buy-in, then, you know, if you have talent, you've got a great chance. You listen to the Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. You can get us on iTunes by searching Real Sports Guys. We have Dave George, head baseball coach at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. Coach, a few years ago when we talked, you had mentioned that Division Three had just started to introduce some modified spring pra- fall practices. You talked about the impact that had on your program. Can you share with our listeners how that has helped develop your players since that's been implemented a few years ago? Yeah, it's it's been huge for us. And, and Phil, the, the uh, NCAA Division Three has had fall baseball for many years. Our league has embraced it recently. And uh, I think it's been four or five years now that we've been doing it. And uh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous thing for retention. Um, you know, where previously I didn't have day-to-day contact with our players until we, we started, you know, practicing the second semester. Now we start our fall practice about a week after school starts, and we're able to see those kids on, um, you know, several times a week uh, during the, the practices that we can run uh, for a month-long period. And, and so it's helped uh, form relationships, player-to-player, coach-to-player. Uh, as you know, college is a tough transition, and sure. uh, I think that's the the hardest thing. I, I tell all the kids I recruit, the toughest thing about college isn't the work. The toughest thing about college isn't how good the pitchers are. You know, The toughest thing about college is transition in your life. And so being a part of something and being a part of a program where, where people care about you is important. And at Beloit, we don't, it's not a tryout situation. I'm not bringing in, there's a lot of small schools out there that will bring in 20, 30, 40 freshmen into their program and then use the fall to kind of try those kids out and see who they want to keep. I only recruit guys I want. And we typically will have about 10 new players in our program, and that means they're a part of it. When they come in, uh, they're, they're important to us. And uh, so it, it really has helped build relationships. Uh, but that's where we do a lot of the filming. I, I mentioned the Right View Pro video analysis program that we use, and uh, we film all of our hitters live at bats during the fall. We film all of our pitchers 
you know, in, in live situations. Uh, and so we're able to then take that information and, and break that down, get back to our kids and, and watch it with them and say, hey, here's two or three areas where you can really improve. Here's two or three drills that you can make sure that you're focusing on over this off season before we get rolling again uh, in, in, you know, late January uh, with regular practices again. And, and it's helped them tremendously. So the retention aspect, everybody getting to know each other and building relationships, uh, the spe specificity of what we can do in terms of identifying the areas our players need to improve and, and get them spending their, their off-season time on that has, has really been a tremendous thing for us. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've had AAU a program director, AAU basketball came on and talked about how just the evolution of amateur basketball and how that's taken place over the last 20 years and how that's affected college basketball recruiting. Just last week we had Keith Gudden, 30-year coach in Missouri State. He talked about the showcase culture that's taken over amateur baseball for high school kids and how he even spotted Ryan Howard uh, seven or eight, nine years ago. Talk about how this showcase culture within amateur baseball, in addition to the traditional Legion baseball process, talk about how that's kind of shifted your recruiting philosophy for the better and for the worse. Well, the uh, the showcases are awesome, Phil. I mean, it's uh, as as a you know, in my position, NCAA Division three coach, it's huge. Um, you know, it's we're not the kind of a place where my phone is ringing off the hook every day with coaches or different people saying, hey, Dave, I found somebody for you. You know, it doesn't really mm -hmm. work that way. I really need to find the players. And so um, I want to go to the showcases where, uh, you know, there there might be 60 kids. There might be 200 kids. I mean, so you're, you're talking about a good volume. We're able to uh, identify the kids. The showcases that I attend that I think are the best ones are the ones where they provide for the coaches very specific and complete academic information on the kids. Um, you know, Beloit is a very strong school academically. The first thing I do when I get, I try to get to the showcases about an hour early, get the, the book or pamphlet, whatever they have for the coaches, and I start going through every kid and start crossing off kids that do not appear to be a good fit for us academically. I then watch the kids who, who are a good fit for us and see if, from an academic standpoint, and see if they're a good fit for us in baseball. If so, then I, I contact uh, those kids from there. So the showcase thing is a tremendous opportunity for kids to be noticed. Uh, it's a tremendous opportunity for coaches like myself to see who's out there. Uh, and so I think it's, it's great. Uh, I do think that there are sort of different, a different caliber of showcases. Uh, I think that parents out there and young players out there, quite frankly, should shop a little bit for which showcase they want to go to. Um, one of the best showcases I go to is, is down in, in Lincolnshire, Illinois. It's called the um, Northwest Suburban All-Star Tournament. It's run by a, a, a tremendous gentleman named Harvey Foster. I think it's the best showcase anywhere. Uh, it's an interesting showcase because um, the kids, you can't sign up to attend it. Uh, there are eight conferences, high school athletic conferences in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and they each put together a junior all-star team for that event. So mm -hmm. somebody that's not a part of that can't go, but 
there are a number of showcases that exist, um, dozens probably, uh, that exist where the kids can sign up and uh, they usually have to pay money and go. And, and I think kids should shop around a little bit. Kids want to make sure that, that uh, it is a showcase that is servicing not only those young men, but also servicing the coaches. And when, when the showcase is doing a good job for the kids and the showcase is doing a good job for the college coaches, that's a great showcase. And some showcases appear to me to be a little bit more based on being money making as as their you know as, as their main priority um, sure. and sometimes not doing quite as good a job on one side or the other and and I think one of the most important keys is that academic component because Kids need to be looking at schools that they're a good fit for. Coaches need to be looking at kids that are going to be admitted to their school. And if there's a showcase out there that's not doing a great job with that academic information, my advice to, to young players and, and to parents would be that's not the showcase for you. Um, and uh, as a coach, I'm constantly evaluating the showcases I go to. The better job that, that, uh, that they do with the academics, the more likely I am to continue to, to go to that showcase. The other thing I think is important, and I really want to take a minute to mention this, Phil, so that if there are, that are young pitchers out there and parents of young pitchers, there is some danger in the showcases, and, and the danger okay. is completely on the pitching side. Uh, I'll tell you a story about a young man here not, not, that doesn't live too far from Beloit, and uh, he's an outstanding young pitcher. He, he's certainly someone that, that I'm going to be recruiting. I'd love to have him in my program. Had a great high school season. Uh, I was reading the paper on Monday, and he pitched – a few innings uh, for the Legion team on, on Sunday in a tournament they were in. I was at a showcase on Monday and Tuesday. This young man was at the showcase. He pitched uh, an inning plus uh, on Monday. He pitched an inning plus on Tuesday. And then when I picked up the paper last night, I noticed that he had pitched uh, for the Legion on Tuesday night. And the mm. start of the article was, so-and-so has, has a rough outing. And I thought to myself, you know, not surprising, right? right. Um, and I think that there's a lot of um, – that goes on a lot with showcases. The kids are on a summer team. They are in a normal sort of pitching rotation with that summer team. Oftentimes the summer coach doesn't have, you know uh, – all kinds of arms all over the place. He needs the guys to pitch on the weekend when they're in these tournaments. Then the showcase, if it happens on Monday or Tuesday, the kid wants to pitch in the showcase because this is his chance to show college coaches what he can do. Uh, depending on the showcase, he might have 20, 30, 40 radar guns standing behind home plate pointing at him when he's out there. And he knows that if he throws 79 or 80, well, you know, he's not getting a scholarship. If he throws 88 or 89, he's got a chance at a scholarship. And so uh -huh. that kid is rearing back and firing. And uh, then sometimes they go right back to their summer team and are asked to pitch again right away. And I don't think that any coaches, nobody out there is, is, is disregarding or, or, or attempting to put a kid in harm's way. But um, kids uh, get overworked. They, you know, after they pitch, they need to rest. They need to be prepared for the work they're going to do, and then they need to have the appropriate rest. And I think there's a lot of pitching injuries that occur nowadays um, because of these showcase situations. And there are some people, whether it's the kid or the parents or a combination of both, that are trying so hard to get a scholarship that they put themselves in harm's way. And I think that, that going to the showcase is important. I think that communicating with the summer coach that you need to be at this showcase, you need to be able to pitch at this showcase, and, may, and tell the coach soon enough that maybe he can organize his pitching 
so that you get you know at least three or four days rest heading into the showcase and then at least a couple of days rest after the showcase uh, before they throw back for the summer team and kids just be in the picture that they are uh, you can't go out there and try to throw five miles an hour than you you know harder than you normally do you just need to pitch and uh, you know there are great opportunities in baseball playing division one baseball is a phenomenal opportunity so is playing in division three and uh, the best thing for kids is to be at the right spot for them academically socially and from a baseball standpoint. And if they get the great fit, they have a chance to have a great experience and have a lot of success. Reaching for something uh, that might not be the best fit uh, oftentimes can, can bring a lot of problems. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. We're chatting here with Coach David George, head baseball coach at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. As you alluded to earlier, Coach, when I met you 15 years ago, Obviously, you were the, the head baseball coach at Beloit, but she also served as an assistant coach. And at that point, your dad was the head coach at Beloit College, a legendary figure at Beloit College for more than 30 years as an administrator as well as a head football coach. And now the tables have kind of turned. With Father's Day just passing a couple of days ago, talk about how special it's been to have your dad serve as an assistant to you for your baseball program and also your son was a high-level performer for you a few years ago. Well, it, it, it really is a neat thing, Phil. I, I consider myself to be amazingly lucky. Um, my dad devoted his life uh, to being a, a coach and an educator and, and uh, to, to Beloit College and uh, to the, the athletic program here and the, and the football program here. And uh, for me to have had an opportunity to help my dad do the thing that he devoted his life to is amazing. Uh, the number of people that would get that opportunity in their life is, is very few. And so I'm very lucky. Um, my dad and I are, are, are best friends. Uh, we're not just father and son, but, uh, you know, if, if one of us is watching something on TV, you know, the Cub game or, you know, the College World <laughs> Series or whatever it is, we'll call the other one up and say, did you see that? You know, so we, we have a tremendous relationship, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's something that, that uh, has been great for us, uh, both uh, personally and, and obviously professionally. I, I think we make a great team and uh, had a lot of success in football. And, um, you know, I, I didn't mention this before, but... But uh, I think my dad uh, being on our baseball staff and helping us has been a big factor in our success. My dad knows more about winning than anyone I've ever been around. And uh, after he retired from football, he took the the rest of that academic year off, retired in 2005, and then took the rest of that year off, and then uh, so was not a part of the baseball staff in 2006, but joined baseball in in 2007. And uh, when I asked him to, to come and join us, he said, well, you know, I love baseball, but I don't have the background. I don't know how to coach kids, how to hit and throw and field. And I said, well, I, I don't want you to do that. I have guys who do that. What I want you to do is do what you did in football. I want you to teach this team how to win, and I want you to teach individuals how to be successful. And that's what he does. Uh, I tease him. I tell him he's the life coach uh, of the players, but uh, it, uh, it really is true. Uh, I've never heard of anybody having an assistant coach that that's their responsibility uh, but he's great at it. He's kind of like the grandpa, you know what I mean? And he's able to talk to kids about, hey, you know, this is what I observed, body language. This is what I observed and how you handled this situation. Hey, you did this really well. Hey, here's a way maybe when you're in that situation again, you can do it a little bit better. Here's, you know, what you should be focused on in terms of, of what you need to bring to this team, those kinds of things. And uh, he does a great job with it, and uh, he is 100% involved in this. Uh, he, he he was 100% in coaching 
and with his family, you know, his, his, his entire life, he does not have a hobby. Uh, you know, I don't think he's ever swung a golf club. He, you know, he's, just, uh, he's into this. He'll call me in sure. November and say, I've been working on a batting order. And I'm thinking, we don't play till March, and this guy has a batting order in November. You know, I was interested to see who, who he had in the starting lineup, you know, let alone, you know, where guys were batting. So uh, it's been a tremendous thing and, and something that, that uh, I think we've both helped each other tremendously, and our, our relationship is amazing because of it. Uh, my son, uh, Jordan, was a, a tremendous uh, player for us. He's, he's one of the best pitchers we have ever had. Uh, he was a big game pitcher and and he loved to attack and uh he was the winning pitcher in in the conference championship game in 2009 and was a two-time all-conference player and an all-region player for us so you know it was really fun uh, you know the the uh it, maybe it's a joke but how many DeGeorges does it win to take a conference championship turned out it was 3 uh three. when we got all all three of us <laughs> together on the same team we won the conference championship and and uh and that that was a lot of fun and Jordan has now started a coaching career he's an assistant coach coach at uh, Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, also works for the White Sox at one of their training academies in, in the Chicagoland area, and he's hoping to one day be a, a head college coach and is, is getting experienced and obviously building his resume and, and looking for an opportunity, and, and uh, I'm, I'm real proud of him, and, and I think that he's going to be an outstanding baseball coach. A few weeks ago, we had Craig Bowl on, the Division One National Championship football coach, FCS division uh, at North, from North Dakota State, and he talked about how Nebraska's legendary coach, Tom Osborne, helped shape his coaching philosophy. Who are some coaches or individuals who, help, who have helped shape your coaching philosophy? That's a great question. And certainly my dad has had the biggest influence on me. And, and uh, you know, what I've tried to do in many ways is model our baseball program in many ways, uh, you know, just like our football program uh, used to be when, when, my, when my dad was, was coaching us. And so he's been a, been a big uh, part of that. Uh, I've had some, some great uh, coaches that, that have influenced me. A guy named Brian Galogli is, is someone who's had a lot of influence on me. I, Brian was my high school coach for a short time. And, uh, you know, those of us that at that time, uh, I attended Beloit Catholic High School uh, here in, in Beloit, Wisconsin, and we were kind of looking at each other going, what is this guy doing here? Because he seemed to be well above our level, and, and Brian went on to become uh, the baseball coach at, at Marion College in, in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and uh, sure. just had a tremendous career there. He later moved uh, to um, uh, to Iowa uh, to uh, to coach at Luther College, uh, which was his alma mater, and he did a tremendous job at Luther. And uh, for some uh, personal and family reasons, he's now relocated back to this area as an and as an assistant coach at UW Whitewater. And uh, mm. I thought, wow, the rich are getting richer. Uh, you know, they've got a great uh, head coach in John Vodelich. They got a great uh, program, and and uh, now they've added Brian Galogli as an assistant. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they could have a better situation. So Brian influenced me uh, tremendously. Um, I think that, that one of the things as a coach that's been so important to me is being able to attend the American Baseball Coaches Association National Convention. I go every year. Most years, Phil, I see every single speaker. I'm not yeah. out in the hall talking to people. I'm not socializing. I'm there to learn. <laughs> I want to know what the best coaches in the world are doing and, and what I can implement in my program. And so uh, I've seen many great people there. Uh, one of the best is a guy named Brian Shoup. Um, at the time that I first 
sort of was introduced to Brian and, and, and heard him speak. He was the coach at um, Birmingham Southern, um, which uh, is a school that's now gone Division three, and he's not the coach there anymore. They've kind of been bouncing in different divisions over the last 10 or 15 years. And uh, I think when they moved to Division three, he took the job. I think he's at Alabama-Birmingham now. And uh, he's a tremendous coach and, and really has influenced me on um, some things to, to really stress with your players and, and, and how to uh, help them uh, develop and, and how to uh, win ball games. So, you know, I, I could probably mention 20, you know, 30 guys as, as we went through this, but uh, I think those are, are a few that have, have had a very big impact. Now, before we transition to our college uh, baseball World Series segment of this interview, now, Coach, I have a unique advantage point to talk about Beloit College. You recruited me 15 years ago to play for you. And I remember as a kid growing up in Michigan, I didn't know where Beloit, Wisconsin was, didn't know anything about Beloit College, but I remember you telling me on the phone, and especially when we visited, you know, hey, Beloit is a special place, and when you get through here, you're going to have tons of options, and you're going to build some lifelong relationships. You also shared with my parents that, hey, you can trust Phil with me and the coaching staff over the next four years. If you were to ask my parents today, they would say that you followed through 100% with that promise. For potential parents and recruits out there that may not be familiar with Beloit College and the baseball program, talk about how special of an environment Beloit College is. Well, I really love uh, Beloit, Phil. Obviously, I'm a graduate uh, and uh, was here on the sidelines and on the campus uh, when I was 10 years old when, when my dad became the football coach. And in, in many respects, I've, not, I've never left. Uh, and so it's a, it's a place that's dear to my heart. And uh, it's, it's certainly a very strong academic school. We get great students. We have terrific professors here. Um, you know, one of the best things is the student-to-teacher ratio at Beloit is 11 to 1. So the classes are really small. And that really leads into what I believe the key is. I believe the key is that Beloit has a tradition that the faculty here and the staff, whether it be coaches or, or different people that are here specifically for our students, the adults on, on campus, um, they will make connections with our students that don't have anything to do with the class or the team. That might be how they met each other, that might be the original connection, but the, these connections um, uh, transcend simply that thing. This is a place where our students are going to have an opportunity to be around people that are going to have a major impact on their life and, and probably a major impact uh, on their career. All successful people in whatever endeavors that, that they're in, when they tell their story, they talk about people in their life that were critical, you know, somebody that, that inspired them with confidence, somebody that introduced them to what they've made their lives work, somebody that was simply an example that they could say, you know what, I, I want to live my life like that person does. Beloit's a place where those things happen, and it's a tradition. It's a little bit of a difficult thing to describe, you know, uh, because it sounds a little bit cliche, but mm -hmm. not all small schools are alike. Small schools are just like people. We have certain things in common, but we can be very different from one another. And one of the traditions at Beloit, it's not a program, it's not a policy, people cannot look it up online. This is a place where the connection that the faculty and staff make to the students is, is life-changing. And um, that's, I think, what makes us special. I'm not an expert about any other colleges, but uh, I've got two older brothers uh, that, that uh, have been college coaches and have been at different schools. And when we talk about some of the differences, this thing at Beloit does ring special. 
uh, it is not like every other place. And so, uh, you know, for students out there that are looking for places, for parents that are looking for places for their kids, uh, if you if you want to be at a place that's going to be challenging uh, and and have lots of neat opportunities, but be at a place where the the people are going to take a, an interest. Um, in, in the student, uh, you know, not only in the classroom and on the team, but but out of the classroom and, and, and off the playing surface uh, to help that person grow and develop as a person. Uh, Beloit's a great place to be looking at, and, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons, obviously, why I love it so much and why I've stayed here for so long. Well said. Let's pay some bills. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upstate technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. Welcome back to The Real Sports Guys and realsportsguys.com. We've been chatting here with David George, head baseball coach at Beloit College. We're going to shift now, Coach, to the College World Series action and, and kind of talk about what's been going on and what's uh, coming forward. Now, Coach, before we get into the actual analysis of the College Baseball World Series, Talk a little bit about your experience. I know you mentioned that you actually went to Omaha for the College World Series a few years ago as a fan and took your family. Talk about that awesome family environment that that's there in Omaha. Well, first, Phil, let me let me uh, say this: if if the listeners out there, if you've never been to the Division One College World Series, you gotta go. Uh, it's an absolutely phenomenal event, uh, something years and years ago that my wife and my son, we drove all the way out there and, and to be a part of it and, and see it, and it's an amazing experience. It's like no other big-time sporting event that I know of. Um, uh, when we were there, the, the funnest part of our story, the championship game ended, Cal State Fullerton won it. We left the stadium going out to the parking lot, and as we're coming out, the players from Cal State Fullerton are coming out, and they have the trophy. Okay, and we're standing next to them in the parking lot, and we end up getting a picture with our son holding the trophy with the Cal State Fullerton guys around him. You know, that wow. doesn't happen in the pros, you know what I mean? That doesn't happen in, in Division One football or Division One basketball, but it does in baseball. It's a wonderful event, and if people have never had an opportunity to go, uh, the city of Omaha and the whole thing is absolutely amazing. So it, uh, I really would recommend that people give it a try. So at this point in the College World Series, we have – uh, three teams in bracket one remaining and two teams in bracket two. Coach, talk about those remaining teams and things that uh, strike you as important statistics that may help our viewers as, as they're watching these games. Uh, as far as the teams that are left, um, you know, obviously everybody at this point is an outstanding baseball team, and anybody's capable of winning it. Um, I certainly think that Arizona and Arkansas are in the driver's seat. When you're unbeaten and somebody else is going to have to beat you twice, boy, that's where you want to be. And uh, it doesn't happen very often that uh, that you know somebody comes through the loser's bracket and, and beats somebody twice. So those, those two teams have a tremendous advantage. Uh, we have a philosophy here at, at Beloit, uh, Phil, and I, I talked earlier about Brian Shoup, and I think the, the combination of, of Brian Shoup, uh, who's the coach at, at uh, Alabama-Birmingham now, and what 
you know, my dad used to do in football, uh, I, I kind of combined those two things. And, and it was a way of saying to our players very specifically, what do we have to do to win? And what can we pay attention to? What do we have to be expert on? What do we have to have our players very focused on? And so what we've come up in, in baseball, and, and we have a few more things that, that we do, but what I'll mention today is, is uh, an area, we track seven stats in the game of baseball. And those stats are walks, errors, stolen bases, hit batsmen, box, wild pitches, and pass balls. So we look at those in terms of getting a plus or minus number. As an example, in the ball game, if our pitchers walk two batters of the other team in the ball game, but our players draw four walks, we're a plus two. Okay? okay. So in a particular ball game, we look at all seven of those stats, and at the end of it, we add those up, and at the end of the game, we end up with a plus or a minus number. So if we've done a good job of controlling the baseball and and uh, taking advantage of some opportunities in the running game and so forth, then we're probably going to be a plus number. What we found here at Beloit is that if we're on the plus side, okay, then we have a tremendous opportunity uh, to win. When we first started taking a look at this stuff, it was probably back in about 2006. And to give you an idea, in 2006, our team here at Beloit was a minus 46 for the season, okay? So we, we added all those up for each game and then totaled everything for the season. We were a minus 46, and we had a losing record that year, all right? We didn't feel very good about it. And then if you fast forward to 2009, 2009, that year our team was a plus 195, okay, and we won the conference championship. The next year we were a plus 176, and we didn't win the league, but we won over 60% of our games. Uh, 2011, we, we won the North Division of our conference and, and uh, finished second overall in, in, the, in the championship tournament. We were a plus 173. This year, we were a plus 135 and, again, finished second in the league. So, you know, the bottom line is when those numbers are on the plus side, you have a great chance to win. Uh, on this year's ball club at Beloit, every single game where we were a negative number, we lost. Every single game. Mm. And year by year, we track this, and we simply say to our players, we have all the stats to back it up, and we look, and we can tell our players in certain years, hey, if you look at last year, when we were a plus, we won 80% of those games. If we were a minus, we only won, you know, 20% of those games or something like that. And the stats vary a little bit each year, but there's, sure. there's clear statistical evidence that if you can be great in those areas, you have a tremendous opportunity to win. And it really boils down to, you want to make sure that, that you maximize your opportunities. You get as many people on first and second and third as you can, and you make sure that, that you limit your opponent's opportunities. And that's what it's really about. So I went through last night, and I looked at all of the five remaining teams to see how they stack up. And anybody can do this. You can just go to their website, click on stats, look at these sure. categories. And, uh, uh, again, it's walks, errors, stolen bases, hit batsmen, box, wild pitches, and pass balls. And this is what I found out. Um, the first thing I'd say, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, uh, I'd go with Arizona or Arkansas because they happen to be the undefeated teams. When you compare those teams, very interestingly, Arizona is a plus 138. Arkansas is only a plus 46. So if it comes down to Arizona and Arkansas, I'm picking Arizona because they have a history over their season of doing a better job in these areas than Arkansas. Now, that doesn't mean that Arkansas can't win the ballgame. They certainly can. 
um, and past performance isn't uh, you know, an assurance of future performance, but it's not a bad predictor. Then when you look at the three teams that all have one loss, uh, South Carolina and Kent State will be playing. Um, South Carolina is a plus 135. Kent State's a plus 110. Now, over as many games as they play, I would say that's probably not significantly, you know, uh, a, a big deal in terms of the stats. Sure. A plus one thirty-five and a plus one ten. They're both good at it. Okay, so that's kind of a pick 'em. Obviously, I think you'd have to go with South Carolina, having watched them over the past two years. Uh, they are a lot of fun, and uh, boy, do they respond when winning and losing is is on the line. Uh, they do a tremendous job with it, and and I love watching uh, these tight games in, in the World Series because you see two things. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on these kids, and they want this badly. Uh, there's a lot of attention drawn on put on them, and 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 uh, it's very important to them. And you see two things when it gets this way. You see uh, very um, you know, atypical um, mistakes, you know, simple plays. Uh, guys can't pick up a bunt and throw it to first base. They're throwing it away. There's too much pressure. At the same time, you see exceptional play, that that pressure, that that adrenaline that, that is flowing uh, in, in, in their bodies allows them to also make exceptional plays. And when you look at the last two years, the South Carolina teams have used that pressure and used that adrenaline to make exceptional plays where sometimes their opponents, uh, that, that adrenaline and that pressure has in a way been their enemy. And so we don't know. That's the fun of watching the game, to see what happens. Um, then you've got to bring Florida State into it. If, if, uh, if there's a team here that I think could come back from the, the loser's bracket and beat somebody twice and go on to win it, mm-hmm. it's Florida State. Florida State is a plus 299 on the season, where they are having the biggest impact is on the walks, okay? They walk a ton, and they don't walk people. Uh, They're a plus 162 simply in the walk category. So their plus number of 162 in the walk category is better than every other team's total in the tournament. Wow. So Florida State may get this done. Uh, and uh, if they do, I think that will be a big reason why. So as fans are watching the game, it's pretty easy. You just get out your pin, and if somebody gives up a walk, makes an error, gives up a stolen base, you know, hits a batter, has a balk, throws a wild pitch, or has a pass ball, that's a minus one, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, if those things happen for them positively, uh, then, it, then it's a plus one, and you just add it up over the course of the game, and most of the time, the team that's on the plus side wins. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Uh, before we let you go, Coach, I want to ask you about weather. As a college coach for 22 years, I'm sure you ran across this situation multiple times. In Omaha, weather has become an issue. Yesterday, all games were canceled because of rain. And now today, we have multiple teams who are in elimination game situations where they were expected to play yesterday, and now they have to look forward to a potential day-night doubleheader. You talk about how you keep your teams motivated during these weather type of issues and what these coaches in the College World Series need to do to have their teams best prepared to play today. Well, Phil, it's really, really tough. And uh, that was one of the things that I really liked about football. You know, the games were always on Saturday. You know, you did <laughs> yeah. the film work on Sunday, and then you started your game plan stuff Monday. And you know what I mean? You, it, the, every week was just like the last, and you knew what to expect, and it was a, it was like a crescendo. You know what I mean? The week uh, would build for, for Saturday. Uh, baseball is different. And 
what we've done here is is really, I would say, three things, and, and I, I'm sure the guys at the College World Series are, are doing this as well. The one thing that we do is we try to make the point to our players that we are want to be about excellence every day. The quality of your season is really the sum of each day added up. And so we want to perform at a championship level every day. If we're practicing inside, if we're practicing outside, if we're playing a team that everybody in the world thinks we're going to beat, or if we're playing a team that you know nobody thinks we have a chance, we want to have that commitment to excellence, we want to put in the work, and we want to go as hard as we can possibly go. And so if you do that, you have a better chance to play well in big games. You know, uh, if you're a team that gets up and down based on, you know, is it uh, a fun practice or not? Is it an indoor practice? Is it an outdoor practice? You know, if, if you get that up and down stuff, you will play down to competition that, that is not as strong as you, and you will struggle to play up um, because you, you get too much tension. You get too much adrenaline, as we talked about before. And so you really have to try to, to uh, get your kids to get after it every single day, and, and that will prepare for that. The next thing that we really focus on here is that, you know, we play in some bad weather. We certainly have some good days, but we also have some days that are not too good. And sure. what we get our kids to understand is somebody's going to win. And this is something I learned from my dad. It doesn't matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if the field conditions are bad. It doesn't matter if the umpiring isn't good or, or you catch a bad break in, in that aspect of it. Someone's going to win. And so every time that we play in a terrible weather game, I, I go out to our players and I'll say to them, it's freezing out here, you know, or, hey, this wind is terrible. All right, we've acknowledged it. Let's get our mind on winning. Somebody's going to win, and it's going to be us. And I learned that directly from my dad. You may remember him talking about that, uh, and, and it works. And the second thing is I think that in the situation that they had, you know, in, uh, in Omaha last night where the games were rained out, uh, I think you've got to do something fun. I don't think you can tell the kids – okay, we're going back to the hotel and we'll go to dinner at, you know, 8 or something and just have them sit in their rooms for three hours and do nothing. you got to go bowling. You know what I mean? you got to take the kids to a movie. you got to do something that gets them up, gets them going, you know, sort of normal life kind of stuff. Sitting in a hotel room for three or four hours or five hours or whatever it is because there's no game and there's nothing to do uh, right. is not the best approach. And uh, at, at our level, we struggle for the funds. You know what I mean? I don't have the money to take the whole team, you know, uh, to, to the movies or something, but we certainly could take a day and, and take everybody bowling, you know what I mean, and, and do that for a little bit. And, and those guys at the Division One level, I don't think they have the, the financial uh, restrictions that we do, but, um, you know, I'm sure last night that, that somebody there did something like that. Uh, one of those teams went to a movie. Somebody went bowling. Somebody, you know, did something where the, the, the guys could get up and get going and, and, and do something sort of normal life. So I think those are really kind of the three aspects that, that talk to the ups and the downs the weather, the cancellations, and, and it is tough. I handle it much better now than I used to. I, I used to really be depressed, you know, and, and my wife would tell you that she, you know, almost called the cable company years ago to get the weather channel taken off our TV because I watched it too much. Uh, you know, now with the, you know, the live radar and all that stuff, uh, it's it's fun to take a look at that, and it certainly helps with those things, but I I know that, hey, it's either going to rain or it isn't, and uh, if it if it doesn't, our kids are going to be ready to play, and if it does rain, you know, we'll we'll have a task for that day and, and get focused on that, do a great job on that day, and come back the next day, you know, for the ball game, hopefully, and and uh, and be successful. Of course, we want to thank you again for coming on. You you hit a home run uh, in terms of the stuff you talked about. 
I hope our listeners out there have, have had a, a better idea what Beloit College is about, what your program is about, and we also appreciate your analysis on the College World Series. I want to congratulate you on your excellent season this year. And, again, thanks so much for coming on with the Real Sports Guys, Coach. Thanks, Phil. It's been my pleasure, and, and I'm real proud of you and everything you've accomplished. You guys are doing a great job. Again, David George, head baseball coach at Beloit College. We want to thank Coach again for coming on and joining us to talk about his team season as well as the College Baseball World Series. Until next time, this is Phil T. on Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.